Hi, my friend, this is Joe Bakmotsky and welcome, welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, if you're here, if you're listening to this, then one way or another, cancer is already a part of your life. I want to thank you for being here, for staying connected with, you know, with other people and with your own experience. You know, because that's what we do. That's how we reconnect with what's truly important to us is by hearing to other people's stories so that you know that you are not alone, that we are here for you. And I've got a great story for you today. We've got my, you know, my friend Lee Silverstein, who's the host of We Have Cancer Show in the United States. And Lee is an incredible person and he's got a great story and he's going to share some of his perspective or how he's been able to really have a, a fantastic life despite cancer and make a difference in his own way. Lee, thank you so much for being here today. I, I've been really looking forward to this. And Lee, I, I got to ask you this first. You know, I know that at some point, you know, after cancer, you're going to feel lost. You're confused, maybe not sure what to do with yourself anymore. But then you kind of look at ways to redefine yourself and how you can make it, you know, a difference in a way that is consistent with yourself and, and, and your values. And, and you, my friend, like you are a great example of that. How did you think of yourself after cancer? How, like, did that, did the way that you see yourself, did that change at all? Well, I, and I got, I got to correct you, Joe. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not, and I hope to get there someday. I'm not in the after cancer club yet. I, I'm still going through chemotherapy every other week on a maintenance basis. But in terms of how I feel physically, you know, I feel probably the same way you do, right? Uh, I'm, I'm working out in the mornings. I work a full-time job. You know, the, the treatment piece at this point is kind of a part of my life and a, and a routine, uh, kind of like something I just got to check off my to-do list every other Wednesday and then go back every other Friday to get the uh, chemo pump disconnected. But outside of that, because I'm on you know, what they call maintenance chemo, I, I really don't have any side effects. So it's almost like I'm not on chemo and it's almost like I'm quote unquote after cancer. But absolutely, you know, this whole experience and I'm in March will be 10 years for me since I was diagnosed that I've been dealing with stage four colon cancer. And, you know, it does change how you look at the world and and what you want to do. And I'm just so incredibly fortunate that in my full-time job as an executive career coach, I'm helping people at a very low point in their life. You know, they, you know, someone loses their job and most of the time it's unexpected. You know, they're, they get called in the human resource office and be, and they're told, Hey, you know, COVID has impacted our business and we're having to lay off several hundred people. And, Unfortunately, you're going to be one of them, and today's your last day, right? And I'm sorry that you spent 20 years here, right? And and they don't know what to do. So I consider myself incredibly fortunate that as my full-time job, I get to help people. And then with my We Have Cancer podcast, I'm also helping people. And that's important to me to be able to lay down at the end of the day and know that I helped people right? That I was a part of helping get people's lives turned around. And, and that's important to me. 
you know, this is a tough club, as you know, to be in the cancer club or the after cancer club. They all have their challenges, right? And you've talked very a lot about that, that, that fear of it coming back. So there really is, I think it's a misconception, as you well know, that when we're quote unquote done with cancer, oh, go live your life. And yeah, it's not quite that easy, is it, right? There's still that thing in the back of our mind especially when the next scan comes up, right? Exactly. I feel like, I really do feel like uh, after cancer, it's, it's just things change. And you, you know, after your kind of first diagnosis, you know, it's never, it's never going to completely disappear. Even if you have been through active treatment and even if it all checked out, you're still always going to be in that place. I just want to go back for a second because uh, I know that you and cancer go way back, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even beyond, you know, what, what we talked about with the 10 years. Could you, could you give us a snapshot of how it all began, kind of what happened then? And then, you know, where, where you're at now? Sure. You know, I tell people, and this, this is the truth, that cancer has been part of my life for virtually all of my life. I was diagnosed with a rare, but fortunately highly curable if caught early, a rare form of pediatric kidney cancer called a Wilms tumor. It only strikes children, and I was diagnosed at five years old by accident. So you have kids, you know, you take your kids to the pediatrician to be examined, and you always notice one of the things that the pediatrician always does is they, they're feeling around the abdomen right? They're always squeezing and feeling around the abdomen. And that's one of the things they're looking for. Because uh, after it's been around for a while, sometimes that can be felt. And my story was, is uh, we grew up in the, the colder climate of the Northeast US. And my, my middle sister, at the time, my youngest sister, we were always getting uh, tonsillitis and throat infections and strep throat and and back when I was a kid, the popular thing was you took the tonsils out when this happened a lot. Uh, not so much anymore. So our pediatrician said, you know, we should take his tonsils out. And like any surgery, even back then and even to today, you, you always have to go in for that, the pre-op, you know, labs. They check your blood and whatever it is. So the day before my scheduled surgery to have my tonsils out, they did just that for me. And something abnormal came back in the in the blood test. And they canceled the surgery. And stop and think at the time, my parents were 30, 31, right? Young parents. And I'm their first child. And obviously, I'm sure, you know, that that was an alarm that they weren't expecting. And they said, you know, we need to cancel the surgery and find out why I think what it was is my red blood cell count was elevated. And they did some tests and ran a dye and did some scans and they found a spot on my kidney. And I was diagnosed with this Wilms tumor and uh, uh, I wound up spending two and a half weeks in the hospital. They removed my left kidney at five years old. I had weeks of radiation therapy, a short dose of chemo. If I, if I remember, it was maybe uh, you know, five days while I was in the hospital of chemotherapy. The rest was radiation therapy. And because back then they used very high-dose radiation, Joe, and the result of which stunted the growth of my muscles, 
in my abdominal and back area. So if you were to see me with my shirt off, even now, 50 some odd years later, there's like an abnormality, like the muscles atrophied. So I'm like a little caved in on my back and I have a permanent square suntan on my back from the radiation. And now, you know, my oncologist today has not said this, but I've done enough reading to know that they are, even though Wilms tumor itself has not been known to uh, result in any other cancers down the road, but what they do believe is intensive radiation to children could lead to cancers when they become adults. And I think that's the reason why I was diagnosed with colon cancer uh, at the age of 50. And I've talked to other people. I talked to a woman, her name is Susan Strong, who had uh, leukemia as a teenager and also went through a high dose of radiation. And then as an adult had, uh, had to have, I think it was a valve replacement in her heart, which they associated again with the heavy doses of radiation when she was younger. So, um, you know, whether that's the reason or not at this point, I guess it doesn't really matter. But, you know, so when I got old enough to know and to comprehend what had happened to me, I think what it really hit me is when I became a father and had my first child, that it really stopped to think in and go, my goodness, Now I get, I can only imagine what that must have been like for my parents. And I would tell you quite candidly, they've never really talked about it. I don't think they, if I asked them that they wouldn't, uh, they probably would. I've I've not asked, but I can only imagine what that must have been like to hear the words, as a parent, your son has cancer, right? So as I got to be an adult, I, you know, I, I would say I never worried that I would face cancer again. It wasn't a a black cloud hanging over me. But at the same time, I felt like I wouldn't be surprised if I did wind up facing cancer again, if that makes sense. I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't nervous about it. I wasn't losing sleep over it. But I just kind of had this thing in the back of my head, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I have to deal with this again. So when I got the call, in 2011, that my routine colonoscopy came back positive. Linda, my wife, who was then at the time we were only dating, she had a much more emotional response to it than I did. And I think that was the reason. Like I kind of knew it was going to come and now it was here. So yeah, I was upset, but I was more in the, all right, what do I got to do mode? Because it didn't come is like this huge shock to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it because it's uh, it's it's kind of something that you're almost expecting. And is that sort of play into similar sort of feeling when you were going for checkups? You know, after you've you've got your you know, not really. Because what what happened was is because the cure rate when Wilms is caught early is in the ninety percent. Now, have children lost their lives to Wilms? Yes, they have. This is, you know, some cancers, you know, will use pancreatic. Caught early, usually it doesn't matter. You're still going to, you know, the, the life expectancy isn't great. But Wilms tumor is one of those that if it is caught early, has a pretty high success rate. But I continue to get checkups into my 20s. 
more, and I did it more as a favor to Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York, because they were just using it really for records, to be able to say, all right, we tracked this patient, and 20 years later, was still cancer-free. It wasn't like they were checking to make sure it didn't come back. That was already way in my past. And it was more like, hey, if you happen to be in the area, we'd love to you know, continue to see you. And I think, I think my last checkup with them, and remember, I was diagnosed at five. I was probably 23, 24. And I never went with any anxiety, zero. It was already in my head, all right, ju- they just want to keep up their records. It never, even for a half a second, crossed my mind with the Wilms thing that I was being checked to make sure it didn't come back. Not like what we deal with today, right? Where there is, especially for me, um, you know, there's that high probability, more than likely, I'm going to have another recurrence. I've had one pretty much every year over the past 10 years. Um, and that's just my reality. But that never crossed my mind with the earlier cancer at all. Yeah, well, and so how do you think about recurrence these days? Because, right, obviously it affects your life, uh, you know, in a big way. Uh, how, how, how does that affect you on, your, uh, on the level of your daily life? You know, it, it, it's interesting because I'm incredibly fortunate. And someone may be listening to this go, how is he fortunate if he's got stage four cancer for nine and a half years? And the, the true answer to that is, is that, that it is nine and a half years. You know, my oncologist called me an outlier, and I said, thank you. (laughs) So I don't know if you mean that as a compliment, but I'm taking it as one. Because as you know, you know, I also host a cancer podcast. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had the 12th person who'd been on my show pass away. And I have pictures of every one of them right next to my desk, so I don't forget the reason why I do what I do. But what they all have in common really is two things, Joe. One, all 12, with the exception of one, so 11 of the 12, all passed away younger than 45, most of them younger than 40. But the other theme that they all had, I think except for one, was the time from diagnosis to death was about four, four and a half years. So I know at nine and a half years, I'm in really good shape. Because there's not a whole lot of stage four colon cancer patients who are still currently stage four that can say they've been dealing with this for nine and a half years. So I know I'm incredibly fortunate. And because the treatment that I'm in right now, because things have been so stable, uh, my last scan, the doctor wasn't even sure. The radiologist said, yeah, there's a couple of small little tumors. My oncologist says... Maybe, but they're so small, we can't even tell. So I'm like, so I said to him, are you happy? He goes, yeah, I'm happy. I'm like, all right, if you're happy, I'm happy. So it hasn't impacted the quality of my life now, which makes it less of a focus for me. You know, like I said, I go to get chemo every other week, but it's not the kind of chemo where I feel terrible or I'm nauseous or I'm running to the bathroom all the time. You know, I might feel a little sleepy the day after, and after work, I'll take a, I'll take a nap for an hour before dinner. And that's a, that's about it, right? So because the effects of the cancer on me has not changed the quality of my life, the 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 
result of that is, is I don't think about it a lot because it's not in front of my face all the time. Because I, you know, feeling bad or looking bad or losing weight or, like I said, full-time job, power walks or working out of them, you know, in the mornings, I'm leading a pretty normal life. And that's why it's not top of mind for me. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think a lot of that, it sounds to me like, like the mindset really is that all bets are off in a way, right? In a way, because like it's, it's happened and now we just you kind of, you know, kind of the shackles have been removed in a way, right? Like there's no, there's nothing that can, I feel like there's nothing that can stop you now because that's why I think, you know, we're able to just say, well, let me do what I want to do now because, you know, anything can happen. And that, and that's true. And I would tell you that's part, you know, on the flip side, and maybe, you know, the expression is talking out of both sides of your mouth. Maybe I'm doing that a little bit. But I also know that, you know, and I've never asked, I have never once asked my doctor, how much time do I have? Or, you know, what's the expected? I have never asked that question. I don't want to know. Not to be naive. But I don't think of myself as a statistic. I think I've already proven that, right? And and that's not gonna. How's that gonna change anything for me? But I do take a more of an approach to my life of letting things go, trying not to let things bother me. Which, especially if you're living in the U.S. right now, that's a challenge to do. But uh, I'm doing pretty good with that, and not to wait, right? And now, you know, we're a little, to use your word, shackled because of COVID. But, you know, pre-COVID, you know, my wife and I were always out and doing, you know, uh, going to sporting events, going to concerts. It was like, you know, I want to make memories. I want to make lots of great memories. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I guess none of us does, right? But I think if you were to, and, I, and I've not shared this with anybody, including my wife, yeah, I think, you know, most people would say that uh, whatever's ahead of me might be a little less than people who are not in my situation. Let's just put it that way. And you know what? If I want to order the more expensive wine, I'm going to order the more expensive wine, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, and that's kind of my approach too, because, uh, you know, I want to live in the moment at the same time. That's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because, yeah, it is important. It is important to kind of, in a way, not look back. And like what you're saying is it's just kind of being yourself and doing some of those little things for yourself and giving yourself the permission to say, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to do this for me, no matter the circumstances. I'm just going to live the way that I want to live today, right? Exactly. That's the way I approach it. And that's the way I look at it. And if I ever get sidetracked, uh, you and I, for our listeners, we were talking about music before we went on. And uh, for the listeners of Joe's show, uh, I'm committed to get him to become a fan. Maybe we'll start off slow, a minor fan. We're going to turn <laughs> Joe into a country music fan here one way or the other. I swore I never would be, and I am. So if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And the reason why I say that, Joe, is there's a song out there, and the title of the song is everything's going to be all right. And for my, for my birthday, my wife had a wooden sign hand-painted, and it's hanging over our television set. 
with the title of that song. And it's probably about a three foot long wood sign. Wow. And it says, everything's going to be all right. So if I ever have those doubts, and they do creep in here and there, I, I have to be honest, not often, but when they do, I could just look right up at the wall and there's that sign. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> I love that, man, because it's, it's just like kind of a way to kind of bring yourself back to the reality of what's going on, right? I mean, I think, I think we all need those kind of anchors, right? The way that I maybe think about it is, is having something that really brings you in. You know, for me, Lee, it's, it's, I, I know that when kind of things get a little too much, I ask myself, what if this was my last day on earth? What would I do now? And you know, it sounds weird. <laughs> it might sound a little morbid, but I honestly think that this is a way for me, because it really helps me to kind of put away all the noise, all the kind of worries and distractions and, and things that I might have going on and really go like, what about today? Like what matters right now is I can go and just play soccer with my son or I can, I can do, like, or I can just go and have a chat to my wife or I'm going to like put on my favorite music or something, you know, I can just throw that up. And it instantly just gives me some, just a, just a shot of freedom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is how I learned to overcome. And, and people who don't deal with cancer may not be familiar with this term, but you and I sir, sure know it well. Scanxiety, right? <laughs> and, and I see so many people in our online communities and forums go, oh my goodness, I have a scan in two weeks. I'm freaking out. And that was me. But the key word there, Joe, is the word was. And I took the same approach that you just talked about. And I had it happen to me and I was making myself crazy. And I stopped and I said, what are you doing? These thoughts that are running through your head aren't going to change the results of the scan. <laughs> the scan is going to be what it's going to be. So I have a choice. I can make myself miserable for the next two weeks until I get the results and ruin 14 days that could be great days that I could be playing with the grandkids or enjoying my wife's company or whatever it is. And I'm going to ruin 14 days worrying about something that's going to happen that my worrying isn't going to change the results. The results are going to be what they're going to be. So why not, to your point, treat each day like it would be your last and, and enjoy it? Why ruin it with those thoughts? I heard a talk, I think it was a TED talk, and we've all heard, you know, the whole how animals have that uh, fight or flight response. If there's a threat, uh, even our dog, like her ears pop up and her tail goes up when she hears something. That's a, you know, an instinctual reaction because she senses a threat. But human beings are the only animals that can invoke that feeling with our thoughts. Just with our thoughts. We can make our heart race, right? Make, our, make ourselves perspire. Invoke all of that fight or flight feeling that we do when we're worried about a scan or whatever. And we only did it with our thoughts. So if you could do that negative reaction to your thoughts, you can flip that around. 
And you can do the exact opposite with your thoughts too and put yourself in a good place and bring calmness to yourself and, and all those kinds of things. If you can do one, you, you obviously can do the other. So what's your choice? What are you going to do? I love that. That it's your choice. It's exactly as you frame it, my friend. It is a choice. It's not always an easy choice to make because sometimes you feel powerless and sometimes you feel like it's running away from you. But if you, like you say, if you start to look at it as a choice and almost a choice which is the only choice in a way, because, you know, I remember for me, Lee, it was, uh, I remember like one point where it all turned away, which is kind of a turning point that you described for, uh, for yourself as well. I remember that, you know, I was, uh, I was probably about, <laughs> like what you said, about 14 days away from a scan. And I was just, it was playing on my head so much. And I just kept so, just freaking out and thinking, what's going to happen? Like, is it going to come back? Does this mean that I'm going to die? And like, I just couldn't deal with it. So I get, had to get out of the house. And I went out and I went along these like train tracks, you know, next to, next to, uh, next to our street. And it was like, it was dark and I could only make up, you know, make out a few steps ahead of me. And, and, and it was at that point, I thought, well, what can I do about this? this whole cancer thing coming back? Well, nothing, right? Like, it's all you know, biology. It's all this kind of random chance. But what about the rest of my life? Do I have that under control? Because I thought, you know, if I have that under control, then I can find a way to live with uncertainty. I can find a way to kind of deal with this thing because it's only one little bit of my life. It doesn't kind of define my whole life. It's just like one little part of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's the way you need to look at it. Now, look, when I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting for the doctor to walk in with the results, yeah, my heart's racing a little bit. I, I, I gotta, you know, let's be real. Uh, we can only take this so far, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, I, if, if you can get through that piece under a state of steady, of steady calm, wow, uh, we need to talk because I got a lesson to learn from you. But yes, you know, having things, how things are in the rest of our life definitely impacts how we deal with difficult challenges. And you make a great point, man. Like, it's absolutely, I don't want to uh, in any way portray it as some sort of stoic, um, some kind of incredible capability. Oh, of course. <laughs> that I think we need to live our lives. But I do think that it's, it's, if we can turn it around from being something that is like soul crushing and destroys the reality of your daily life, then I think we have the power to do that. Yes, you're not going to be running around, jumping out, going, oh, I can't wait until I see my oncologist. Like, that's never going to happen. But at least it won't kind of just uh, destroy you know, the, the, the day. And you are still able to wake up with a feeling and look towards, you know, look towards the future with thinking, you know, I wonder what's going to happen with just kind of excitement, just and having a kind of expecting things expecting things to turn out well for you and and, and i think that's hope you know is is isn't that like that you have you don't know what's going to happen but you're going to hope for the best absolutely yes yes cuz that's the one thing you you, you don't want to give up on is is that hope and for some people in their circumstances 
that's a challenge. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, we can just as easily say to ourselves, I'm looking forward to hearing the good news from the doctor as we can say, oh my goodness, what's he going to tell me? What news is she going to share with me? You can, you can, you can t- change the, the story you're telling yourself. You can say, I'm looking forward to getting the good news from my doctor next week, right? So that you have that hope. Absolutely, man. And, and you know, another thing that was been, just makes me think of is, you know, we're living obviously in an <laughs> interesting time with the pandemic and with the virus that's floating around, especially, you know, if, if you've been through cancer, it's kind of the last thing you want. But in a way, it's almost prepares you more because you're kind of used to living what we're talking about, you know, living with uncertainty. Do you think that's true? Do you think that in some ways serves those of us who've, you know, been through cancer? A hundred percent. Because we're used to dealing with, A, being extra cautious, right? You know, many cancer treatments leave you extra vulnerable to all kinds of things. Uh, I'm fortunate that the chemo that I'm on right now does not make me more vulnerable the, than others since they uh, uh, removed a few of the drugs from my protocol. But it's put me in a position to, you know, be prepared to, you know, deal with challenges like this. I also believe, and I think we've all seen it, that adversity is a magnifying glass to our lives. And what I mean by that is, if there is good in your life, if there's good in your relationships, if there's good in your marriage, when adversity like COVID hits, that strength, that good, is going to be what gets you through. It works in reverse. If you're in a relationship that's not great, and you've been coping with it by doing different things, oh, I go do my own thing, and my partner goes and does theirs and you know and maybe we'll share meals together and you know we'll sit on opposite ends of the couch and watch TV and say goodnight and go to bed but we're kind of going through the motions that when adversity hits that also puts a magnifying glass and I think we're going to see I hope I'm wrong but I think I'm right uh yeah I think we're going to see an uptick in divorce rates <laughs> if it hasn't already stopped started uh, when this is over, because people aren't able to go find distractions and do other things, and they're forced to, you know, be under that magnifying glass, and uh, it's going to bring out either the goodness or what's not good, one way or the other. Uh, and I think that uh, the strength of of my relationship with my wife has made a difficult situation much more palatable for the both of us. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you, Molly. It's it's such a powerful observation that you make that it really is a magnifying glass in terms of the adversity. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's always true, like, for example, with, with cancer as well. It's just that, as you say, right now with the pandemic, it's probably it's something that's, that's kind of hitting all of us right now because, you know, it just brings out, you know, some of those things about, you know, uh, your partner, uh, your relationship, uh, and also yourself, you know, having that, whether you have that sense of purpose, of belonging, and I think that's such a vital thing to have, uh, having 
something that you you kind of it really drives you on with something that you really do every day and no you earlier you mentioned because uh, you the two podcasts that you have i think this is a great point to really dive into that because I, I first of all i, I love the, the the podcast that you have about cancer called we have cancer can, can you can you share how how did that come about so it started off uh, about five and a half years ago as the colon cancer podcast and by that too was by accident I have a number of friends here in the U.S. in uh, in Central Florida, outside of Tampa, and who had started podcasting. And I attended one of the meetings just to socialize with my friends. I knew what a podcast was. Maybe I listened to one or two. I wasn't a big podcast listener, but I knew a bunch of my friends were getting together. I was like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with these guys. That was my intention. And all it was was that one meeting, and I'm hearing different people talk about their podcast and what they're doing with it. And it was like, I like to call a lightning bolt moment, you know, where lightning hits you and you go, you get one of these ideas. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe I can do a podcast and interview other people with like me with colon cancer and share their stories and give people, what was that word we used earlier? Hope and inspiration. Three months later, I started the colon cancer podcast and I started reaching out to people that I knew through social media to come on and share their stories. And I did that for about uh, about three years. And I was at a uh, major podcasting conference in Orlando, Florida called PodFest, which is on every year. And I was sitting with other podcasters and friends over lunch, and we were talking about our podcasts. And a friend of mine said, so when you interview all these colon cancer people, is that all you talk about is just colon cancer? And I was like, well, actually, we don't really talk much about colon cancer specifically, we talk more about life and how do you handle cancer, what's it like to be a caregiver, whatever it is. And he said, well, why don't you open up the podcast and make it not just colon cancer? And it was like another one where I slapped my forehead and said, why didn't I think of that, right? I was like, that's a great idea. I should do that. That would open it up to more people. So I work with a branding professional. Shout out to my buddy, Jason Hewitt, who does an amazing job. And I said, Jason, here's what I want to do. Can you help me? And he said, yeah, I'll help you. So we met, we probably had four, three or four meetings for several hours. What do you want it to be? What do you want to do? What are your thoughts? And we came up with the name, We Have Cancer, because the we stands for a few things. First off, anytime I would lament my challenge with Linda, my wife, she would always be quick to remind me, sweetheart, you don't have cancer. We have cancer. It's as much a part of me as it is you. So that's where the we came from. And the we also came from the fact that every one of us is touched by it. We either have had it. We either will have it. We know someone who's had it, right? Everyone is touched. And that's the reason. And it's intentional when you look at my website. The we is capitalized both the W and the E, because we are all touched by it. Uh, so that's, that's how We Have Cancer was born. And, uh, and five years in and 170-something interviews, I'm still meeting people with new stories I haven't heard before, learning new things, and it's been an incredible journey. Absolutely. And I, just, I, I love how you've described that kind of journey as well. And you know, one thing that I, I find 
uh, from talking to you know so many people across different cancers, different ages, you know, different stages, all sorts of different things. Is I find that whenever somebody tells you know their story, their, and because uh, each story is unique, right? We all go, we all have different situations, we all go experience things and see things in a different way. I find that these stories become universal. Like when you know when you talk about you know the, you know, the struggle that that you might have had it makes me think of my struggle and so each story in its uniqueness touches other people because they've got their own story to share and it makes them connect to their own life and what they have experienced do you think that's true very true i would tell you one of the most common pieces of feedback that i get back from people is thank you for sharing the story whichever one it was it helped me feel less alone I thought I was the only one struggling with whatever our topic was. And it was so comforting and gave me hope to hear that I'm not alone, that there are other people experiencing what I'm experiencing. So absolutely, yes. Yes, yeah, I love that, man. And, and uh, you're doing such an incredible job with that. That's, I think that's hugely important. And I think that's personally, I think that's kind of one of the real strength of, of podcast as a medium because you're like listening in on a conversation and in a way you're a part of a conversation but you don't really have to say anything does that make sense at all yeah yeah no you're right i i i absolutely agree because you know i feel like it's because some people you know they may not be in a in a place where they want to talk about uh you know their story Maybe they're not in a position where they want to seek help or like they just don't feel comfortable with that. But listening to someone who's, again, like as, as you said, is just like them and makes them not feel alone is, is a really powerful step. I think towards going, you know what? Other people have been through this and I hope I can find a little, you know, a little strength and a little courage to, to, to go on, you know? Sure, sure. And it's not been easy. Uh, there's a blog post on my website that I wrote uh, just recently. I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit the podcast after five years. It had just kind of become too routine for me. And I was at a point where I was, you know, I had just been dealing with another recurrence of my own. I was like, so I got my own cancer going on. And now in you know, after a long day of work, now in the evening, I'm going to interview people and talk about their cancer. And I was like, I just need a break from cancer for a while. And I was kind of going through the motions. And it all came to a head when a friend of mine, uh, Sarah DeBoard, uh, who was on my show and was part of the organization that supports my show, she died. And I learned of it uh, on a Facebook post one evening. I was sitting watching TV with my wife. And um, I hadn't talked to Sarah in a, in a little while. And I, I knew, you know, I knew she, you know, had some challenges. I didn't realize that she was that close to passing away at all. And maybe, and I don't know the details and it's really not that important. But I opened up Facebook and I saw that she died and it totally blindsided me. And I burst into tears and I tossed my phone across the room and I looked at my wife and I said, I can't do it anymore. I said, I can't, I'm, I'm done. I just can't do it anymore. And coincidentally, we were about two days away from taking a vacation 
Yes, even during COVID and going off to the beach about three hours away and we got an Airbnb to ourselves so we wouldn't have to be around other people. And I just, you know, we just wanted to get, do a little getaway. So uh, we get away and we, uh, you know, and that was my reaction. Hadn't thought about it. And uh, the place where we were, the Wi-Fi was bad. So I wasn't spending a whole lot of time on social media or checking emails. And one day uh, an email showed up. You know, I, I had logged on and it just came out of the blue from somebody I don't know who basically said, thank you for your podcast. Um, I recently met someone. We just started dating, and he shared just shared with me that he's been dealing with cancer for a while, and your show helped me. And I read that, and I went, and I stopped. And I said, I emailed her back. And I said, I'm more of a spiritual person than a religious person but I do believe things happen for a reason. And I said to her, her name was Jill. I said, Jill, your email could not have come at a better time. I was about to give up the podcast. And then I got your email telling me that you found it and it helped you. And I was crying as I was writing back to her. And I realized at that moment, Joe, that I was being selfish, that it's not about me. If there's one person like Jill, who hears one of these interviews, and it helped her. It helped her deal with her new boyfriend who just revealed to her that he's been dealing with cancer for a while, and she didn't want to leave his side. She goes, I could have walked away. We'd only been dating a few weeks, but I like this guy, and I want to know, you wanted to know how to deal with and what to say and what to ask, and your podcast helped. And I said, Jill, your email came just at the right time, and I believe from the bottom of my heart, it came intentionally at the right time, just when I needed that email from someone like you. And because of your email, I promise you, I will not give up this podcast. I'm going to keep going with renewed energy because how many people didn't send me an email but feel the same way? And I owe it to them to continue to give them hope. Yeah, that's so powerful, Lee. And because it's like, as you say, it becomes something, finding something that is almost bigger than you makes it, makes it easier to, to continue to kind of stay on the path. You know, I feel the same way about, you know, this podcast and, and the book has been a real kind of breakthrough for me because now there is something that is, is way bigger than me. And I feel that when you're contributing to something that's bigger than yourself, whatever that is for you, you know, like for you and me, it's podcasts and other things, but, you know, we can all find something for us that is going to be feel like you're making a contribution to other people, you know, whatever way that works for you. You kind of have a bigger vision for yourself. And I think you also have less time to think about what could go wrong, you know? Absolutely. The first thing I did, Joe, when I got back from the beach, and you might be able to see it over my shoulder here, there's a collage of photos over there. The first thing I did was I went online and I had a print made of the 12 guests who've been on my show who've passed away. And rather than running from that, I got all of their photos made and put them up on a bulletin board right next to my where I do my podcasting. 
so that I'll never forget the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, that it's for them. It's not for me. It's A, to honor their memory, and to know that their stories, even though they're no longer here, have touched other, not just me, but other people. So that I don't let that, what, just, what happened to me a few weeks back, so that doesn't happen again. Don't ever forget the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's so powerful, Lee. Thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, can you talk to us more about your other podcast, uh, Landed, about you know, finding the job? How did that come about? So I work for a, uh, a global company that provides outplacement services. So when companies are restructuring and having to let people go, oftentimes they're provided you know, a severance of you know, a few weeks' salary, whatever it is as well as outplacement services, a company that will help you with your resume and help you with your LinkedIn profile and interview coaching and network and all these things that you need to get back on your feet. I actually lost my job about 10 years ago and was provided this same service. And my background was actually in retail. And when that happened, and I was with the company well over 20 years, lost my job, and I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was through this program that I figured out I wanted to get into coaching and teaching and training. And I landed at a career college where I was helping young people get started with their career. And then the same company that provided me the service recruited me to come work for them five years later. I actually wound up replacing the guy who was my coach when I came through the program. So it really came full circle. So we've been talking about, you know, how do we get more exposure? How do we get our reach out? How can we communicate to the folks that need help that maybe, you know, are more remote? And I said, you know, having been doing the We Have Cancer podcast for a number of years, I immediately knew what the answer was. And I said to our CEO, I said, we need a podcast. <laughs> and she was very skeptical. And I said, you know, I think we can do this. I put together a whole timeline of what we needed to do when and what it would take. And uh, she signed off on it and said, go for it. And we came up with the name Landed, Advice on Landing the Job of Your Dreams. We put out an episode every other week. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get any podcast. And my colleague and I, we co-host it. And every other week, uh, we've been doing it, we just celebrated one year. Every other week, we do an episode of job search advice. How do you successfully interview? What should and should not go on a resume? How do you grow your network? How should you use LinkedIn? And on and on and on. So uh, I'm podcasting all the time. Uh, the schedule for that show is on the opposite schedule of my cancer show. So one week, the cancer podcast comes out. The next week, the, the landed career podcast comes out. And they're short conversations, 20, 30 minutes. And, um, and, and it's been fun. You know, it, it, it's been fun. The company I work for have been, has been very, very pleased with what we've done. That's so much so that they're in the process of putting together a second podcast. This one I won't be hosting, but I will be obviously involved in getting it off the ground. So the, the other component of our company's business the main component is this whole job, you know, helping people get back to work piece. But our company also does like leadership development and talent management. 
Uh, we work with companies, so they were, we're going to do a second podcast more for that side of our business. You know, leadership advice, uh, helping human resource people. How do you hire effectively? Uh, employee engagement, these kinds of things, and that one's going to launch here in the next probably about ninety days or so. Name to be determined. <laughs> well, that's beautiful because clearly, obviously, like land that would have yeah, it must be it must be a big success. And I, I love the fact that you know both of those podcasts, in, obviously, in different ways. But as you can, we, we circle back to like what what we touched on at the, at the very start of our conversation today is both of those things. Uh, you make you're making a difference to people who need it. You know, uh, who are really you know in 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 a tough place, maybe in a tough place right now in their life, and it helps them to kind of figure things out and 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 really hopefully give them a little something extra to go on and find something to make a difference for themselves in their own way. So I think that's incredibly powerful. And so if tell me, if someone wanted to find out more about you and, uh, and check out those podcasts and, and read your blog, like what would they do? For the cancer piece, you can find us at wehavecancershow.com. Uh, I'm active a little bit on Twitter, more on Instagram at wehavecancerpod. And uh, you can find me, Lee Silverstein, on Facebook, or We Have Cancer Show on Facebook. And then uh, Landed, Advice on Landing the Job of Your Dream. The website for that podcast is landedjob.com. And you can catch up on the, uh, let's see, uh, Tuesday will be episode number 30. Uh, And you can catch up if you or someone you know is uh, looking for some help on how to successfully land a new job, do check out Landed. I think you, I know you'll get some helpful tips and advice there at landedjob.com. Yeah, thanks so much, Lee. I really love what you do in the world. So thank you for, for, for being here. And I'm really glad that you got that email at the right time because we, <laughs> we all want you to keep going, keep doing what you do. And thank you so much for what you do in the world. I think you know, it's uh, I really appreciate you coming on today and just sharing, you know, your perspective. So thank you, man. You as well, Joe. And I appreciate uh, not just this, but I think uh, you'll agree uh, for our listeners. Uh, Joe and I have have become friends from opposite sides of the world. And uh, you're amazing because you're always keeping in touch and checking in on me and how I'm doing. And I'm really excited about your new book that's coming out. You're gonna, you two are gonna touch a lot of lives, of helping people uh, navigate difficult times with your new book, and I'm really excited for you. So thank you for having me on. More importantly, my friend, thank you for your friendship. Thank you so much, Lee. Yes, my friend, there's no turning back now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmulski, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, because I know that this is a especially crazy time for all of us. And if you're struggling a little bit right now with the lockdown, with the COVID-19 pandemic, then I, I, I urge you to check out my 14-day lockdown challenge, how to stay sane, steady and strong in the time of pandemic. You know, each day I'm sharing what I've really learned from cancer about dealing with isolation, with worry and fear. And each day we're going to tackle a different topic. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go to 14day, that's one for 14daylockdownchallenge.com. 
Also, if you're a cancer patient who's going through you know, potential cancer treatment right now, then I urge you to go to simplifycancer.com and check out some of the free tools that I've created to kind of help you out along the way. If you go to simplifycancer.com to the tools section, you're going to find out the outcome map, which just shows you how to really work through specific worries, like in milestones, like, like a checkup, or maybe some specific symptoms that you've got, like an ache or a pain, and you gotta figure out what to do next. It's a really simple tool that can help you to really work through that. There's also online community guide, which is how to really find the top three online communities for most cancer. So you can really check in with people who've been through it before, like connect with them, ask questions. They're gonna be there for you because they know exactly what it's like, you know, what to expect from treatment and beyond. Also, I've got a PDF called your first oncologist visit checklist. And here I've got all the questions that you want to be asking your specialist. So you can just print it out and take it with you. There's room to make notes. And also make sure that you can kind of prompt the conversation and make sure that you really don't forget. The other thing I've got for you is the testicular cancer support kit. Oh, I've done a whole bunch of videos for you on the things that you can really, you know, find out about dealing with testicular cancer from the perspective of someone who's been through it. This is not medical advice. This is just from my personal experience of dealing with cancer. Things that questions that you might have about fertility, about having sex, all of that sort of stuff. Like how does it feel, and guide you along the way, and hopefully make your journey easier. So check that out as well. And speaking of my experience, you might also want to check out <laughs> Simplify Cancer. Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. This is the book that I wrote talking about the four main challenges that all of us guys must overcome when we're dealing with cancer. If you're interested in seeing what that's all about, go to simplifycancer.com. The links are pretty much <laughs> everywhere on the website and you know I'll tell you more about it. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time.